0: Well, here we are in week two of our sermon series called The Story. And today's chapter builds upon the beginning we talked about last week, so let's do a quick review. You'll remember that God created the universe and everything in it. He created Adam and Eve and wanted nothing more than to live in a deep and personal relationship with them. Yet they disobeyed God, and sin entered the world. The sin in people grew and grew until God was sorry he had ever made people. He sent a flood to wipe out the whole earth, but he found one righteous man, Noah, and his righteous family. So he saved them from the flood by means of an ark, and when the flood subsided, Noah, and his sons and their wives began to populate the earth again. Even though there was still sin and arrogance on the part of the human family after the flood, God was still in love with the creation he had made. And God continued to write his story of redemption. And it continued with a man named Abram, who traced his family line back to Noah's son, Shem. And this brings us to Genesis chapter 12. I'll begin reading in verse one. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. 4,000 years ago, God made himself known to a man named Abram, who would later be called Abraham. Abraham is the father of all three of the world's monotheistic faiths, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. All three trace their roots back to this one man. God chose Abraham and his wife, Sarah, to begin a new nation, a nation whose intent was to reveal the one true God, to the entire world. Now there is absolutely no earthly rhyme or reason why God chose Abraham and Sarah. He wasn't particularly spiritual. In fact, the Bible tells us that his family had worshiped different gods at one time. Nowhere does the Bible tell us that Abraham was super smart or even really moral. Yet God chose this man and his wife to begin his redemptive purposes for the entire world. God reveals his plan to Abraham, and it is a fourfold plan. God will make the new nation great. God will make Abraham's name great. God will bless all who bless Abraham and curse those who curse Abraham. And God will bless all the nations of the world through this new nation. God will use the new nation to reveal his presence, his power, and his plan to win us back. And every story of this new nation will begin to point us to the coming Messiah. Now, when you start to learn about Abraham and Sarah, you begin to wonder why God even chose that all. Abraham is already 75 years old when God appears to him. And Sarah is about 65. They are no spring chickens. Now, I've never done it myself, but I can imagine that starting a new nation from scratch would be really hard work, don't you think? And Abraham and Sarah are already At retirement age. Add to this the fact that they don't even have any children. I mean, how do you start a new nation when you're at the end of your family line? Who is going to follow you? Yet this is a recurrent theme throughout the Bible. God chooses unlikely people to do great things for him. Why does God choose Abraham and Sarah? The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 8 says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. God asked Abraham to pick up everything he had and move it to another place, Abraham asked, where am I going, Lord? And God said, I'll tell you later. I'll let you know. How long is it going to take to get there, Lord? I'll tell you later. How do I get there? Abraham, don't worry about it. I'll tell you later. I don't know about you, but I don't like uncertainty like that. I'm not a fan of having no idea where I'm going. I think I would have asked God for a map. Show me where I'm going. I'm afraid that I would have asked God for some more details first. I don't think this could have been any easier for Abraham than it would be for us today. Just when he was getting ready to retire, God said, No, you're ready to aspire. When Abraham was ready for social security, God says you should be ready for social insecurity. And when he was ready to just hang it up, God said, no, get it down, dust it off. When Abraham was ready to just sit back and take it easy, God said, no, you've got to be ready for the biggest adventure of your entire life. Abraham and Sarah were old, and they were wealthy. They had herds of camels and sheep and goats. They had tents. They had servants. They had lots and lots of stuff that they had to move. Yet when God told Abraham to pick up and move, Abraham obeyed, and he did just that. He picked up everything, and he left home to follow God into the great unknown. Every one of us faces tests in our lives. Some of them are big, some of them are small. And when you're tested, does it ever feel like you don't have all the facts yet, and yet you're still faced with having to make the decision? Lord, there's an opportunity staring me right in the face, but I'm not sure if I should take it or not. Can't you please show me the end result before I have to decide? And God says, no, you just start moving, and I'll direct your way. Abraham had faith and obeyed. And because he obeyed, all his troubles went away, and he lived happily ever after, the Bible tells us, right? (laughs) I know you know better than that. That's absolutely wrong. I mean, if you've been following God for any length of time at all in your own life, you know that that is never true. Abraham and Sarah would face famine. They would face conflict in their family, but the hardest thing that they had to face was when it seemed like God was doing nothing at all. God had promised that Abraham and Sarah would have a baby. They had obeyed and uprooted and moved everything they owned a great distance from Haran to Canaan. And now 24 years later, 24 years later, nothing. They had to have been wondering, when, God, when are you going to come through on your promise? I think it's a lot easier to endure something if you know that there's an end in sight. The hardest tests in life are the ones when you don't know if they're ever going to end or not. That is really hard. And so Sarah comes up with her own plan to get things going. She's going to get this new nation started, she thinks, according to her own time frame instead of in God's time. We read this story in Genesis 16. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children, go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Now to us, this sounds like a strange and terrible idea. (laughs) And it certainly didn't work out great for them as we will see. But the custom of producing heirs when a woman was childless through a female servant was not uncommon back in those times. But the real issue here is that Abraham and Sarah are trying to take things into their own hands. They don't trust God's timing. They get tired of waiting. They go, grow tired of asking when. And so nine months later, Ishmael was born to Hagar, Sarah's servant woman. But instead of solving a problem, it created new problems, jealousy, anger. You see, this wasn't God's plan. Abraham and Sarah needed to learn that God has his own timetable And that it doesn't do any good to try and force something to happen. We struggle with tests like these too, don't we? Some of you might be going through a when test right now. God, when are things going to finally get better for me? When am I going to meet the right person whom you have for me to marry? When am I going to have a baby? When will I ever get my health back? When are you going to answer my prayer? When will I see the end of my money worries? When are you going to help with my children? When? In addition to the when test, we are also often faced with the how test. How, God? How will this happen? This is irrational. This doesn't make any sense. We find the answer to the how test in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews eleven eleven says, "'And by faith, even Sarah, "'who was past childbearing age, "'was enabled to bear children, "'because she considered him faithful, "'who had made the promise.'" It was by faith. Abraham and Sarah chose to believe God's promise even when the end was not in sight, they put their faith in God. They chose to have faith in God despite all the obstacles, despite all the questions. And in return, God counted it to them as righteousness. In Genesis 15:16, it says, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. They believed God, and God gave them the gift of right standing in his sight. And it wasn't because of anything they had done, because they hadn't done anything except to believe God's promise about the future. And with all the questions they must have had, they made a choice to simply put their trust in God's promise. And faith has been the way to please God ever since. God comes to men and women on his own terms, and the relationship, the very personal relationship between God and us is always like that on God's terms. And we shouldn't expect anything less from God I mean, if God is all-powerful and all-knowing, and if God created the entire universe, if God is so big and above all, yet at the same time knows all about you, your fears, your dreams, your heart, your sins, even the number of hairs on your head— And in all of these attributes of God, he still longs for nothing more than to be in a good and right and personal and loving and deep relationship with you. Then don't you think he has the right to do it solely on his terms? God did keep his promise to Abraham and Sarah, and he did it on his own terms. One day three divine visitors show up outside Abraham's tent. Abraham sees them and he runs to greet them and he offers them his very best hospitality. And they ask Abraham a question, where is Sarah, your wife? Abraham replied, in the tent. Then one of the men said, about this time next year I will return and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah had been listening from inside the tent, and at the sound of this man's words, she laughed. I mean, wouldn't you? Sarah was 90 years old by this time. I'd be thinking, how are you going to do this, God? And at this point, the writer lets us know that one of the visitors is the Lord. And the Lord asks Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Sarah, who still heard all of this, was afraid, and so she lied, and she said, I didn't laugh, but he said, Yes, you did laugh. You know it doesn't do any good to lie to God, right? He knows all about you. He knows your innermost thoughts. Sarah couldn't tell God that she didn't laugh because he already knew that she had laughed. And God asks each one of us that very same question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Because once you believe in God and all the things that God has done, nothing else is too hard to believe. One year later, Sarah did give birth, and they named the baby Isaac, which means He laughs. It's the perfect name, isn't it? Because this child had brought laughter and joy to Sarah in her old age. And I'll bet many of her friends and family laughed right along with her in her joy. But God wasn't finished with Abraham yet. There is still the biggest test of all left. And it's going to shake Abraham to the very core of his being. We read about this great test in Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. God had finally fulfilled the promise he had made by giving a child to Abraham and Sarah. And now God is asking Abraham to offer Isaac to him as a sacrifice. It doesn't make any sense, it doesn't seem fair. Why? Isaac is the fulfillment of the promise. He's the miracle baby. He is the one upon whom all of their hopes and dreams and God's promise depends. This is a very difficult passage of Scripture. It is hard for us to comprehend God testing Abraham in this way. God abhorred the child sacrifice that was practiced by the pagan nations and their false religions who were also living in the region of Canaan. And so why did he ask for Isaac? God is looking for people who love him more than anything else, more than self, more than family, even more than a long awaited child. Father and son climb the mountain together. And Isaac asks his father a question Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replies. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac asks. God Himself will provide the lamb, my son. God does provide a lamb. As Abraham raised the knife, a voice calls out Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Don't lay a hand on your boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. He didn't know why, but he knew that God had given him the child, so God had a right to ask for him back. Abraham decided that God had a right to make any demand on his life that he chose the writer of Hebrews, gives us a little insight into what Abraham might have been thinking. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. When you go through your difficult tests in life, you have to cultivate the same faith in God that Abraham had. We just have to have the faith that God knows what he is doing and that he is working toward accomplishing his good and perfect plan for our lives. We may cry. We may ask for help. We pray. And we turn our eyes upon Jesus. 2,000 years ago, God would once again at great cost to himself, provide the lamb, his son, his only son, as an offering for us. God does not ask any more from us than he is willing to do himself. And God will do whatever it takes to win us back to himself. God uses unlikely people who are not the smartest, or the most beautiful or handsome, or the people with the best resumes or finest pedigree. God picks people you and I wouldn't necessarily select to take part in his story. In fact, sometimes we are shocked by who plays the starring roles in God's story. Unlike the way we do business, God taps people not merely because of their abilities, but because of their availability. God searches for people who are open to be used by him. You might not think that an 18th century non-religious slave trader by the name of John Newton would write one of modern day Christendom's most beloved hymns, that he would have a conversion experience quit the slave trade and actively work toward abolition of slavery, go on to become ordained in the Anglican church and write, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. His hymn was used to evangelize thousands of souls during the second great awakening of the early 19th century right here in America. Or you might remember Corrie ten Boom, a young woman from the Netherlands, the daughter of a watchmaker, who was used and a part of the Nazi resistance movement during the occupation of Holland. She hid Jews and the mentally disabled so as to protect them from being sent to the concentration camps. She herself eventually was captured and she was sent to a camp where she was tortured, but she made it out alive. And after the war, she continued to work for healing and restoration, even forgiving one of her torturers from the Ravensbrück camp. We all must be ready to be used by God for the redemption of the world. God uses ordinary people like you and like me. He chooses regular people who are willing to be used by him so that there can be no doubt in anyone's mind that it is God who is doing the work of redemption. You see, God weaves a thread of grace and love through every chapter of the story that he is writing. And there is a chapter of the story with your name on it. Open yourself up to the author of all greatness and goodness and allow yourself to be used in the story just like our ancestors in the faith, Abraham and Sarah. Will you pray with me? <clears throat> oh God, we thank you for the story of redemption from Genesis to Revelation and for our forefathers and mothers in the faith, Abraham and Sarah, through whom you built a great nation and through whom you sent prophets and eventually the Messiah, even Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. God, your story has gone on from that day down to our day, and it will continue forever until you return. Use us, your faithful ones, unworthy as we are, limited as we are, to show your limitless grace and worthiness to the world. Draw the people to us. Send us forth from this place to tell your great story until all people know of your great worth and your goodness. We pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.